We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're just saying that it's off to a nice start. Why does it have to be all or nothing all the time? Like, what am I doing? I'm doing it for the show. Field of 68 till I die. This is the Field of 68 After Dark Show, the only place that you need to be for college hoops every single night. And this is the best month of the year. Feel the 68 After Dark is live with you on March the 1st, 2022. And folks, tonight, it's Miller Madness right here on the Field of 68. I'm your host, John Fance. We've got the two coaches with us, Archie Miller, Sean Miller. Sean, you are grinning ear to ear because March is here. Hey, yeah, and we got our point guard on the telecast. I mean, you can only take Goodman and Douster so much, and uh, we got the A-team here with us tonight. So Arch and I are ready to give you our best effort for sure. <laughs> we are ready to, to give that here over the next hour. We've got a lot to talk about. Life in the Big Ten tonight. Michigan making a statement after Sparty had come up with the upset win over Purdue. What happened tonight? We'll get to that in a little bit. We'll talk SEC as well. What to make at the top of this conference and and really what this league could do here in this month, a league that looks pretty dynamic. But we begin tonight on this first night of March with a rematch between two teams who played an epic game a couple weeks ago in Providence, Rhode Island. You see, the Providence Friars are the Big East regular season champions. They were before the matchup tonight with Villanova. Villanova's record against Providence this season, though, 2-0 and as the Wildcats take a 76-74 to win over the Friars. Providence is done with Big East regular season play. They don't play this weekend. They are 14-3 and as they close out conference play. Arch, your reaction to this epic game, a top 11 matchup, and what to make of the top of the Big East? Well, number one, to go into Villanova um, and to be able to play without Al Durham tonight, who's a key, key piece to their team, and really, to be honest with you, to fight tooth and nail all the way until the final buzzer to give themselves a chance to win, to me, really validates Providence team and what Cooley has done with this group. They're not a one-man band. They have a lot of guys that can step in and play. 
And I think, you know, they've won a lot of close ones. They've won a lot of tough ones, but I think it speaks to volumes, how many guys can step up at different moments and sort of pick up the pieces when, when a guy's not playing well, we're out like tonight with Durham. And, you know, they made 15 threes at Villanova tonight, thought AJ Reeves being able to make five and also Horchler being able to make five is good. And they out-rebounded Villanova plus nine. They're the bigger team. But again, Villanova, really the standard in the league. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if these two teams didn't match up again here in Madison Square Garden. Hmm. Yeah, you know, John, the one thing that, that I, I've been really watching in a, in a curious way is never before this late in the year has college basketball teams played this many games in such a short period right. of time. Yeah. You know, like, and, and it's like, you're looking, sometimes it's like back-to-back road games. And then the third game added is also on the road. So, you know, you're going like a Thursday, a Saturday, a Tuesday, you know, then it starts to add up. And then as it points towards going into each respective conference tournament, man, you worry about injuries and you worry about freshness. And I'm not so sure that this year, the team who goes the furthest in in the NCAA tournament doesn't isn't better off bowing bowing out earlier in their conference tournament you know just you look at these games they're just it's amazing like I know Arizona and USC are getting ready to play but Arizona who's a top flight teams you know at Utah Thursday at Colorado Saturday at USC Tuesday Cal Thursday and then Stanford Saturday or vice versa. That's a lot of games to be played in that short of a duration. Then guess what? Then you go to the conference tournament. So, you know, you talk about the Big East tournament. I know everybody's excited about it, but you think about Colin Gillespie getting injured late last season, how that impacted Villanova. It'll be interesting to watch here down the stretch. You know, you just hope that the best teams and the best players can stay healthy. Thinking about Villanova for a second, guys. Now 22-7 and seven on the year. Caleb Daniels goes for 20 points. They get five players with nine points or more in this game. And I feel like we have talked about a number of teams at the top, whether it be Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky, Kansas, Baylor. My question to you, Arch, do you consider Villanova a national championship contending team? You know, I don't know if I consider them a national championship team this year. I definitely think they're a team that when you play them, regardless of who, who, you, who they match up against, is going to be very, very difficult to knock them out because of their style. Uh, but I don't know if they have enough overall team depth mm-hmm. and firepower. Um, they just seem to be a team that kind of – trudges along with the same five or six guys, which is good for their rhythm. But I think, you know, wear and tear, maybe a little bit, uh, not shooting the ball. They depend on the three Um, and their size inside with depth would really concern me as they move on. But if you said Villanova was right there in the second week, you know, second weekend ready to challenge in sweet 16 versus a Kentucky it's a 50-50 game based on their experience level. And uh, it just kind of showed tonight. They play with five turnovers. Uh, they go 21 for 25 from the foul line. And they're just a very, very well-schooled, coached, experienced team. And I just don't know if they have the overall firepower or depth, especially inside, 
as you start to really deal with some of the high level, deep, big teams that they're going to see. Yeah. You know, I, I would add Arch and tell you that I don't know if there's a team, you know, matchups in, in the tournament are so key, you know, it takes some good fortune and Villanova is a great example of, you know, there, there are certain teams that are going to really struggle against Villanova because Villanova's style is, is like their kryptonite. And I think to your point, there are certain styles that might be too much for Villanova to overcome. But mm. I think the biggest difference between Villanova this year and some of their best teams is their defense. Their defense is solid. It's good. You know, they're 38 in America. You know, I remember watching Villanova, you know, towards the end of February, March, uh, going into the tournament. And they're, they're like number three on offense and eight on defense, you know, and they had that going for a while. This year, they're seven on offense, but they're 38 on defense. And I think that size helps them on offense way more than it does on defense, uh, certainly against uh, uh, the bigger teams. Yeah, they're just not as big at the five position right. as, as typically they would have one or two guys that they could man up. Dixon is a difficult matchup, but he's probably only about six, seven. Wouldn't you agree, John? I mean, he's not a true no, five. He's not your, right, right. And if not. he goes out, if he would get in foul trouble or whatnot, they become really slim. Right. Yeah. So here's the question, since we're tipping off with the Big East tonight, because you look at it, Madison Square Garden hosting the Big East tournament next week. It looks like it's going to be quite a, a conference tournament because if we get Villanova Providence round three, wow. There is, in fact, a, a very likely path. This, this is one of the more likelier paths on the bracket that we get Villanova Connecticut in a semifinal game on Friday night at MSG. The question becomes here, maybe not who necessarily is the best, but who in the Big East, who in the Big East do you trust the most, both in the conference tournament and in the NCAA tournament? Well, I'll take it. I would say that um, I believe in both Providence and Villanova. I think both teams can win multiple games that they've shown all year long. They're good enough. But I think as you look at the at the Big East right now, the team that's trending in the right way, that's playing its best right now, that has the most momentum going in, is Connecticut. Yeah. UConn has been able to re- rally after their loss at Xavier with resounding wins. Um, you know, right after that loss at Xavier, they were able to take care of business with St. John's on the road in a tough one. They got Seton Hall at home. They got Xavier again, and then the, the great miraculous win against Villanova, and then they took care of business against Georgetown. So they've won five in a row, probably from their worst performance, and they're trending right now being favored to maybe go into the conference tournament winning seven in a row. I think UConn is a team that really is going to be dangerous as they head into Madison Square Garden for sure. The, the team that I would not want to play in a Big East tournament – is Seton Hall. You know, I, I think that like a lot of teams in this country, they were affected at the wrong time with COVID and, you know, their shutdown directly impacted them, but they've won their last three games. Their next two are Georgetown at home and, and at Creighton. I think when you look at their defense, you know, it's one of the top 25 defenses in the country. They play hard. They're battle tested that tournament playing in New York city they have a lot to gain, right? They're, they're one of those teams that's not worried about resting anybody yeah. or anything. They're playing for it all. 
So, uh, you know, I, I think that they're a tough matchup as it is. Kevin Willard does a great job. But as we're moving towards this Big East tournament, I wouldn't want Seton Hall in, in, in my bracket. Pirates have won six of their last eight games. They had the Bryce Aiken injury situation with his concussion. Yeah. That, that forced them to play differently. But it would appear that the Syracuse transfer, Kadari Richmond, has been able to find more of a groove as the point yeah. guard in that team. We know Jared Roden can score, but you got to have somebody to set him up, and that's what's happening with Seton Hall right now. Yeah, they've gotten into a better rhythm with Richmond mm-hmm. having now a, a full rope where, where Aiken's not there. And I also think what Sean said can't be harped on enough when you talk about Seton Hall. They were impacted as much as anybody uh, with COVID at the wrong time. They took some losses. They've worked their way through it, but they're also a dangerous team. And, you know, if you look at the Big East and you, you'd say like one team that, boy, you know, I, I feel bad for them is Creighton. Just because yeah. the loss, the loss of Nemhard, probably the freshman of the year in the Big East, to me, he was the the straw that kind of stirred their drink, and uh, they're a very, very good team, uh, a very underrated team, I think this year with some of the wins they had. Losing him though, when they did, um, is going to hurt Creighton long term. You know, he may be able to get with it one game, but. Boy, is he, is he an impressive young player in their league uh, for what he did for their team. Yeah, and when I think of Creighton, like the identity of Creighton is their speed up and down the court, their skill level, right? They shoot the ball, they score points, they're playing up-tempo basketball. But I found myself just as we watched the league evolve this year, and Greg McDermott deserves a ton of credit because I know he has roster flipped and he's a lot of young and new players you know, they, they're the best defensive team in the yeah. Big East in conference play. I mean, you don't think that, right? But when they've won, it's been as much because of their defense as their offense, actually more. And, you know, I don't know how many people will know that because Creighton has always scored the ball, highly skilled. They run like excellent offense. And many times it was their defense that would do them in. This year it's been completely different. But you're right, the injury, the injury to Nemhard this late in the year, and that was my point earlier, you know, what's the one thing that, that creates injuries in basketball? Overuse. And you start getting into, you know, the late months of March, it's hard enough. Everybody's been at it a while. But playing this many games in certain leagues leading into the conference tournaments, I hope it doesn't lead to key injuries because uh, I, that, that would be very, very unfortunate. Field of 68 after dark, Sirius XM Channel 84. John Fanta, Sean Miller, Archie Miller. Miller Madness underway here on the opening night of this month. So what do you make of Providence and their keys here? They're 24-4. and They win their first Big East regular season championship. Special moment for Ed Cooley, who could win National Coach of the Year. What do you make of this team and their ceiling? Well, um, I think that uh, they've shown that they can, you know, obviously weather adversity, you know, throughout not only the season with COVID, but also their games. They've been in tons of just unbelievably hard games. And I think that that's that's a trait that doesn't go away and it's going to serve them well, because as you go into the Big East tournament and see a team twice, three times, you're in the NCAA tournament. Those games are highly pressurized and they're very, very tough wins. And Providence is accustomed to those situations. And uh, they have a good backcourt. They have a great big guy. 
and they have a ton of just key role guys throughout the course of the year that have stepped up and played. And I think that Providence has an opportunity to make a run in the NCAA tournament. They're going to get a great seed. And I would be surprised to be white, be honest with you. I would be very surprised if Providence isn't in the, at least the sweet 16. I think they're definitely good enough to win two rounds, especially with a, with a high seed. Uh, I feel like Providence is a team that's kind of destined to, to make it to that second weekend and be, be in a regional semi. You know, I think Ed Cooley's going to win the national coach of the year. I, I hope he does. My rationale and reasons, John, are the following. Number one, it's his program. He's been there. He's built it. He's gone through the obstacles and overcome them, and he's come out on the other side. He, number two, is doing something historically that the Providence Friars have never done in the history of their program, especially in the Big East Conference. And this year he's doing it in the Big East Conference, which is one of the top four conferences in America. You know, top to bottom, it doesn't take a back seat to many, if any, at this point. And I think when you look at how he's done it, the fact that he's been there as long as he has, and historically that he just checked the box and did something that nobody has ever done at Providence. Um, I think 24 and four right now, as he enters the big, big East tournament, you know, my hope is that, uh, that he gets that there's quite a few others we can name them, but uh, his story is, is separate. I think just a little bit more from, from those others. All right, let's talk about this here. Wisconsin and Purdue at the Kohl Center. Chucky Hepburn just banks in a left-wing three to put the Badgers ahead 70-67. to 67. Purdue ball, 1.5 seconds left. What a wild, wild game. So hard to win in Madison. Thoughts on this wild finish between two top 10 teams? Well, it's a hard place to play in the Kohl and, and – um... Purdue has been right there, nip and tuck here this last eight minutes. Uh, it actually took Johnny Davis to bank in a, a, a shot on the previous possession, and now Chucky, Chucky banks in another one. So two bank shots for the Badgers <laughs> to win the Big Ten championship tonight. Uh, we'll see if Purdue can uh, string together a long, a long pass here for three, which uh, Matt will do a good job. But, uh, again, Greg Gard – you can put him in a, in, a, in a separate category as well. I believe they were preseason picked 10th in the Big Ten. Wow. They have a it's over. They're storming yeah. the court in Madison as Wisconsin clinches a share of their 20th Big Ten regular season title. Absolute bedlam at the Kohl <laughs> Center. What a win for Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin was preseason 10th, and they're going to have a chance at home to win the outright Big Ten title. Greg Gard. Uh, not only Big Ten Coach of the Year, but he's in discussion for national. And I've been saying it, if you just take away the style points and how they look, if you match their resume up at the end of this weekend, heading up to the Big Ten tournament, they're no less than a two seed on the line. And uh, to me, Wisconsin's going to be a team. They have a stud player, and uh, they're going to be a team that's going to be hard to play against in, in March as well. No question. You know, when you think of, of Wisconsin Arch, you know, you think about their, their collective approach, right? Team defense, team offense, the names and faces change, but from year in, year out, their style doesn't. But I think this year, you know, a little bit like Purdue, when we talked about Jaden Ivey and what he brings in just a different form to a Purdue team, you know, think back to like Maui, which this yeah. year was played in Las Vegas. 
when not everybody really truly understood how good Johnny Davis was. Yeah. And now you take inventory here at the end as they win a Big Ten regular season championship. They won the Maui Invitational. They they beat St. Mary's. You know, Notre Dame was in that. Houston, Oklahoma. They beat Houston full speed. I'm sorry. Houston at when they were at full strength. And you win that Maui. You win the the now the Big Ten regular season championship. You have arguably the best player on the court, game in, game out. I agree with you. Uh, I think they deserve a high seed. And, you know, uh, look, I've, I've lived it a number of times against Wisconsin. It's such a unique style of play in the tournament, Arch. You guys yeah. get used to it in the Big Ten because you see them two times a year, sometimes three times a year. You know, your players, as they grow, they get used to playing that unique style. But Thad Mata told me one time, Fanta, when you play Wisconsin, the good news is the game's going to be over in an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> And I didn't really understand, but they don't turn it over and they don't foul. Yeah. And the clock runs and, and it's like, holy, I mean, you look up like there's eight minutes left in the game. I just feel like we're in the first half, you know, and, but it's such a unique style kind of, we talked about with Villanova. It's a style that's difficult to play against in tournament play, you know, ditto for Wisconsin. And, and now remember, they also have Johnny Davis, as an element to what they've already done well for the last 20 years. Crazy thing is, if you think back to the Gavit games, Providence went into the Cole Center and beat Wisconsin at the early November. No and Johnny, Johnny Davis. Davis didn't play. All right. Both of those teams have had incredible seasons. You know, right from that game, they went and win Maui. They have now swept Purdue. They've won at Michigan State, at Indiana. Uh, Wisconsin just... Uh, they're going to finish their homestand here with Nebraska. They'll be favored to win it outright, the one seed in the Big Ten tournament. I just don't know how Wisconsin would go to the Big Ten tournament as the outright champ and not be on at least on the two line. Yeah, wow. What a win for Wisconsin. Hold on, guys. We are on Sirius in five seconds. Welcome to the Field of 68 After Dark, Sirius XM Channel 84. We are on Twitter as well and on YouTube at the Field of 68. Tweeted us, comment, put your questions in. I'm John Fanta, and folks, the madness is underway. We want to welcome all of you who are just listening to a Big Ten Top Ten thriller as Wisconsin clinches a share of the Big East regular Big Ten regular season championship as the Badgers win 70-67 to over Purdue. Miller Madness is underway. I've got Sean Miller. Archie Miller, they're with us here until about midnight. And let's talk about Wisconsin. They win this game. Here's a breakdown, guys, of their resume now. 24-5 and five overall. 16-4 and four combined against Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2. That is second only to Kansas. KPI, their third. Uh, their strength of record is fourth. They're 4-1 four and one against Quad 3. They're 12 and two away from their home court. So it's not like, hey, they got all their business done at the Cole Center. Is Wisconsin a number one seed in the NCAA tournament on Selection Sunday? If they would win the Big Ten tournament, if they would win outright here, beat Nebraska Saturday, and then win the Big Ten tournament, it would be impossible for them not to be a one seed with the resume. I still think they'll end up being probably on the two line, uh, which is still an unbelievable accomplishment. Here's the thing. Yeah. 
you make you make it to this league's championship game, if you've won that many games in a row, and if by that point you'd have potentially twenty combined Q one Q two wins. Yeah, How they're a one you, seed. They're a one seed. Yeah, put Wisconsin yeah. on the number one yeah. line if they do that. But I, I think a good point you brought up, John, is the more you look at, at the metrics that make an NCAA tournament and in seeding as well. There's nothing more powerful than the number of quad one games your team played, how many of those games you won, how many of those games you won on the road. And then you, the second part is just adding the quad two, because what it takes into account is both your non-conference scheduling and also the depth and quality of the conference you play in. I mean, I, I'm fascinated watching the Big 12. You know, you watch Baylor on a Saturday, you leave that game saying, man, that, that was a tough game. You turn them on two days later, you know, they're home or away. They're playing another game. You're like, wow, back at it again. You know, tonight, TCU beats Kansas. TCU's good. Nobody thinks of TCU in the Big 12. But, you know, being able to reward these teams for playing that many quad one and quad two games, it supersedes the metrics and, you know, in Ken Palm. I think Ken Palm and the metrics are a significant piece, an important piece. But now that we're at the end, rewarding the tough schedules. Uh, I think that the top seeds will have the most of those games under their belt. Don't you think Arch? I mean, when you were in the big 10, I remember watching from my vantage point, there were a couple of seasons just watching you guys beat each other up. And you're like, my God, like teams are losing three, four, five games in a row. And that same team could go deep in the NCAA tournament. It was just, it was just so brutal in the months of January and February that you have to be rewarded for playing that type of schedule. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, it's like just a war of attrition. You just try to get to the end, you know, and I think like a team's, you know, for instance, a team like Ohio state right now who dropped a tough one to Nebraska, the schedule that they've been on and the pace that they have to finish the season in the Big Ten is almost unfair. You know, when you're playing mm. four to five games in a nine or 10 day period on the road and at home in that league, uh, the wear and tear, like Sean said, on the bodies, on the on the minds um, is it's really it's a tall task. And uh, I think when you're in the Big 12 this year, when you're in the Big Ten, the SEC this year, some of these leagues in particular, you're, you're absolutely right that a, a 500 team in one of those leagues could realistically be a team that's in the Elite Eight. I mean, that's yeah. the competition level that they've competed against now for two and a half months. And in most cases, if you're in the tournament, you have four or five wins against really good teams. You can beat anybody. Our, our year in the Big Ten, that we the COVID cancel year that we were heading to the tournament, we had wins over, I think, five or six ranked teams that year. And uh, yeah. to, to me, when you play that schedule, regardless of sort of your record, when you take a deep breath and get to March or head to the tournament, it isn't a whole lot you haven't seen in terms of competition. So I definitely agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised if a Big 12 or SEC team with a lower seed doesn't advance deep. I would ask his question, John. And Maui doesn't get enough credit because it wasn't played in Maui. All eyes weren't on that tournament at Thanksgiving that we all grow up watching, you know. But the champion of Maui traditionally has done really, really well yes. and gone deep in the tournament. I know that historically because we were in Maui uh, a few years back and that was the narrative. But 
They won the Maui Invitational that was played in Las Vegas. They've now won the Big Ten regular season championship, thinking about how many great teams are in the Big Ten this year. And you start thinking about that tournament, there's no doubt that they should be right there. You know, those top eight teams in the NCAA tournament, one, two seed, Wisconsin is in. I mean, and uh, I I could certainly see them being really dangerous in March. You know, in, in Arch, they kind of snuck up. You know, the, the, the all the shine was on Purdue for so long. I mean, I found even on this show, we talked Purdue, Purdue, Purdue. Purdue's good, but Wisconsin has clearly emerged and, and uh, as evidenced by tonight's game. Well, here's my thought here. I have to say it. Let's, let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room. Kent Pomeroy, want to start with this. You are a very smart man. You are smarter than me. You are a mathematician, wizard, whatever you want to call it. We in college basketball are thankful for you, Ken. That being said, the fact that Ohio State is 25th in your ranking system and Wisconsin is 26th is absolute hogwash. <laughs> I mean, let's come on. Call it what it is. Call it what it is. You're telling me. You're Can we get him on the show? Dial him in. I we need a special guest. I don't Can know how him? to get a hold of Kenny Pom Poms, <laughs> but you're telling me there's 25 teams better than Wisconsin? You're telling hey, me that there's 25 teams better. I know. I'll give you one better. I'll give you one better. Wisconsin's 26th, Michigan's 29th. Yeah, exactly. Most people would say Michigan, they're fighting for their life to get in the tournament. So I think there's some real outliers in Ken Palm at the end of the year. But one of the things the Big Ten does does for you is because you play against so many good teams, you don't drop a ton and you do go up when you win some games where some other leagues, they penalize you for not playing well um, or winning a game. But uh, Wisconsin and Purdue and Providence, very similar in terms of how they've been treated metrically but also very similar in their resumes where they have this incredible amount of great wins. Uh, no doubt. I, I just don't understand how you could sit here now and think that there's 25 teams better than Wisconsin. I'm not saying that Ken thinks that, but by the same token, we have talked, you're exactly right, Sean. We've talked, who's the best team in the big 10? Oh, uh, maybe it's Purdue. Maybe it's Illinois. Uh, there was a period of time where we were like, Oh, maybe Michigan state emerges. Folks, Wisconsin has one of, if not the best player in America. And you know what I love about this, Sean? Is that tonight you get not only Johnny Davis, but Tyler Wall, Chucky Hepburn, all 15-plus points. That was the next dimension that we were looking for from the Badgers. Could they find some offensive versatility? Yeah, I mean, Arch knows Wisconsin you know, far better than I do, but just my perspective – playing against them and watching them is it is such a difficult style to play against. You know, each of us plays 30, 35 games. It just feels different when you play them, the pace, their half court offense, their interchangeability, the way they defend in the half court, how fast the game's played. They do not foul. They do not turn it over. They're highly skilled. Uh, You know, their bigs go on the perimeter. Their perimeter sometimes goes in and it's just, it's, it's a style that I think has really transformed the Big Ten in many ways. Bo Ryan brought it with him, and, uh, and Greg Gard has done just an excellent job of carrying on the tradition. It's just 
not a lot changes from one year to the next. But with Johnny Davis giving them that extra firepower, I think they become more dangerous entering the tournament. I think when you talk about Wisconsin, it's, you know, it's very hard not to, it's very hard not to talk about Wisconsin success and not mention Brad Davison. Yeah. Brad Davison is a fifth year senior. He's now won his second big 10 championship. He is a tough, tough, tough kid. And he's sort of a, you know, a leader amongst uh, his group right now. You can tell that, you know, his fire and how he competes and his leadership has been a big reason why Wisconsin hasn't dropped, you know, an inch after all of the production that they lost a year ago. I think Tyler Wall will be a big key for their team. He's a third double-figure scorer at times. He was very good in Maui. And when they've had good wins, he's been able to get them 10 or 12. The guy who's really played well lately, though, is their freshman, Chucky Hepburn. They're getting really good play from Chucky Hepburn at the point. So, um, you know, the tournament's a crapshoot. Could they lose in, a, in an early round? Maybe. But I just think that Wisconsin mm. deserves all the credit right now. And Fanta, Craig Gard we deserves subjects. I'm tired we're going of talking to. about the Big Ten. Yeah. We, we, that's enough. Well, it's the perfect segue <laughs> to a break. Up next, we talk about potential one seed candidates that were also in action tonight. Was somebody on upset watch in the Big 12? That's next. This is the Field of 68 After Dark, Sirius XM, Channel 84. You're clear. Okay. Producer Dagan, do we have anything in the chat? Yeah, we have we have we have a lot of conversation going on about Duke Kansas from a couple years ago in the chat. So I got to go back and find some questions. There were some in here. Um, Goodman's in the chat, obviously talking about Wisconsin and, and their, their one. Seat. I'm and, sure he is uh, the J <laughs> the JGI. How about this? Ten minutes in Arizona, twenty five USC eleven. Let's go to our Pac twelve expert, Sean Miller. Just thoughts on this matchup overall, and and why Arizona's up fourteen. Well, sometimes when you're playing late in the year in conference play, you just have one of those nights. And I, I thought that night was at Colorado for Arizona. Historically, always a tough trip for the Pac-12. Um, but it's interesting to see them respond. I think that game got their attention. Uh, they know that this is a marquee matchup. It's also a huge game for USC because they've had a quiet great season arch we've talked about that as far back as early december you know they've been steady from start to finish but this is 30. a big game in the pac 12 and a big game for both teams and i think a statement game for arizona uh, if they could really win especially if they won convincingly usc you know they've been a team that has started slow even in some of the games in the pack 15 this seconds year, i think where they've played the bottom tier teams they've started slow they've had to come back um, but they find a way to kind of hang around. They have 25 wins. For Five seconds. I think they can't All get right. down too much there to Arizona go. tonight, but we'll see. Oh, it is the field of 68 after dark. Sirius XM channel 84 tipping off the month of March. I'm John Fanta joined tonight by Sean and Archie Miller, Miller madness is well underway, and we are with you throughout this month and change, bringing you college basketball updates, storylines, scores, bracket busting, all that and more here at the Field of 68. We are presented by Bet Rivers as well. 
Let's turn to a game tonight in the Big 12. Another night where Jamie Dixon shows just how good Jamie Dixon is. Mike Miles goes for 19 points and six assists. And what was once a bubbly TCU Horned Frogs team is nowhere close to bubbly anymore. Two top 10 wins in a row. TCU 74, Kansas 64. Arch, your reaction? Jamie Dixon, um, he's one of the best coaches in America. Uh, to beat Texas Tech and Kansas in the back-to-back week kind of shows, uh, number one, how good his team is, but two, what a great coach he is just in terms of their program. They're heading to the tournament. There's not even a bubble team. They're, they're fighting right now to get as high as a seed as they possibly can, and they just threw a big monkey wrench into the Big 12 because knocking Kansas down a, a level puts Baylor right in position to win the Big 12 championship as well. And uh, Texas Tech only being a game back, but I know there's still another round this weekend to get through. But TCU, you can give your cheers early for Jamie Dixon and the Horn Frogs right now. I mean, they have great point guard play, and uh, J- Jamie's experience with USA basketball, taking Mikey with them and playing on that, I can't help but think that that didn't raise their level as a team. But they're playing defense like they normally do. Yeah, you know, you want a perspective about how good the Big 12 is. Talk about teams having to play all these quad one and quad two games, and they should be rewarded. In the Big 12 conference, TCU is eighth best on offense and the fifth best on defense. And yet they're clearly in the NCAA tournament. There's seven teams better on offense and four better on defense. You know, and what that tells me, you pick TCU up and you drop them in for example, the Pac-12, or you drop them in these other conferences, I think what you would see is they're 19 and nine right now. They'd be more like 22 or 23 wins at the moment. Yeah. I mean, they're a very good team. The other part, TCU, you know, UConn uh, about two weeks ago, I think was the number one or number two offensive rebounding team in America. You know, right now you look at Jamie Dixon, TCU, TCU, Jamie Dixon as the coach, they're the number one offensive rebounding team in America. And, you know, it's like if you have that strength, you could beat anybody on a given night, especially on a neutral court. Let's talk about Kansas. Dewan Harris goes scoreless in this game in 26 minutes. Remy Martin scores two points in the 12 minutes he played. Arch, how concerning is it that Kansas's point guard play is just average? I mean, it's concerning when you look at Kansas's aspirations to go to a Final Four. Um, I think they were probably hoping to get Remy up to speed here towards the end of the year after he sat a few. Um, but like Sean said, it's late in the year and the Big 12 beats you up. Um, I would not want to be TCU going to the Fog next week. I think Kansas will respond. Uh, but they were just at Baylor on Saturday. Quick turnaround at TCU Tuesday. They have two home games to finish up the the Big 12. Um, I'm not concerned about Kansas at all. I think they're going to be right there for the one line, maybe the two line, depending on how things shake out in the next couple weeks. But Kansas is a potential Final Four team when they're playing well. I tell you what, DeArch, you know, guards, guard play, we've talked about teams having not just one good point guard on on the court, but sometimes two, and how that is historically proven that that those teams seem to advance deep in the NCAA tournament. 
Kansas's point guard play is a concern. I think Bill Self would tell you that. You know, they've been able to play around it, overcome it. At times, those guys have really looked apart and played well. But just having, you know, one and two of those guys on the court who are really good, consistent. You know, you watch Baylor last night at Texas. And, you know, Cryer and Akinjo out there together, like they just controlled the game, big game on the road late in February. You know, you said it, Arch, everybody feels that grind. But how, why is it that Baylor left that game with the win? And I thought their guard play was, was the difference. And um, when you look at Kansas moving forward, they have so many good traits. I do think it's a concern. Like we like Villanova. Once the, what's one of the reasons that we feel like Villanova is the real thing? Uh, it's because Colin Gillespie is a great point guard. Great. And he's old. He's a leader. He shows up in big games. Having those guards uh, on your team playing well and having more than one of them, I think is almost a requirement. Who's the team in the Big 12? And this is a hard thing to select, but I'll give you ABC. Okay. Who's the team in the Big 12 that if you had to back, you're back in here? A, Baylor, B, Texas Tech, or C, Kansas? And I ask the question knowing it's a very hard question to answer. But you get to back one of the three teams. Arch, you're up first. Who, who are you going with and why? I'm back in Baylor, um, especially if they're at full strength at the guard play. If you put a Kinju Flagler and Cryer on the floor throughout the course of a 40-minute game, those three guys are going to be really hard for the other team to deal with. They're great defensively. They're top 10 in both offense and defense. But to me, those three-headed monster at the guard, when they're healthy and their defense being as good as it is, um, them being able to weather the injuries that they have through the last three weeks, Baylor is the best team in the Big 12, and they're the most built and complete to win in the NCAA tournament compared to Kansas and Texas Tech, especially uh, with the caveat of those three guards being ready to go. You know, I think it's a remarkable story and one of the best storylines of college basketball this year. Scott Drew won a national championship and he lost a ton. Four starters from that team. And in that backcourt, you know, again, let's talk about Baylor's backcourt a year ago. To back up my point about the importance of point guard play or guard play, think about their team a year ago. But for them to, to reboot and do it like they've done it, we've talked about this, Arch. Jeremy Sokan and Kendall Brown, they don't look like freshmen to me. You know, they, they're very unselfish with their style. They are elite on defense. Usually even the best of the best who are freshmen struggle more on defense than they do on offense. And I think one of the secrets to Baylor's success this year is those two guys, they've plugged them in and they're, they're like their two best defenders, right? I mean, they can push it in transition. They make big plays. They give them that versatility in. And right now with their latest injury, a big John going down and those two guys being on the court more together, you can see they're getting more confident they're improving. And that's the one thing that's dangerous about these elite freshmen. They don't stop getting better. Their ceiling is so high. And I like Baylor for that reason. And I would just, I don't know the answer, but if Flagler returns, I mean, he was their leading scorer. Cryer, Cryer. I'm sorry. LJ Cryer. LJ Cryer. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm sorry if I, I messed that up, but, but when you look at Cryer, you've, he was their leading scorer. Am I right about that? Yeah. I mean, you are. they lost their leading scorer and, and they're still playing the way they are, but I don't know if Cryer's coming back. If he does come back, I agree with you, Arch. I mean, you talk about one seed, you talk about a team that can, can do it again. I mean, uh, I believe that. And also, as I've watched James Akinjo, you know, it's not as easy to transfer and be steady and be great from the first game all the way to the last game as if you've been in Baylor's program for four years. It just doesn't work that way. I don't care how talented you are or what program you left to come from. It takes a little bit of time. But just watching James here in the last couple of weeks, now that his back injury is behind him, I feel like he's playing like their brand of basketball. Seems like he's fitting in more and more. When he's passing that ball and he thinks pass and he's defending like Baylor does, I think that brings out the best in their team. And uh, I was really watching that Texas-Baylor game last night. I was impressed with both teams, but Baylor leaving that game with the win is super impressive. It, it is. And I, I asked that question of who do you back the most? And I think we'd be remiss to not bring up before we go to break the team that's number two in Ken Palm defense in the country, one of the best defensive teams on their best day, maybe the best defensive team in college basketball. And that's Texas, Texas Tech. Tech. Yeah, that's yeah. Texas Tech. Now, you could say Bryson Williams and, and Davion Warren that offensively, they can come and go because they're, they're not a top 30 offensive team in the sport. What do you make of the red Raiders? I mean, what can they be a team in your mind? Do you have them on new Orleans level or do you think just short? I think the I balance think of Baylor, the, yeah, the balance of Baylor yeah. though, Arch, I mean, talk about a two way team. They're eight on offense, 10 on defense. I mean, it's been that way from November. They've had guys get injured. They've had guys, you know, in and out of the lineup. They have not been healthy all year. There are some teams that they're having a magical season and you look at it and say, I don't think one player's missed a game. And you look at Baylor and think about what they've overcome to still be that team that can beat you with their defense and their offense. I think that's a big difference comparing them to Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech is going to be an absolute bear for anybody they play against because of their competitiveness, their toughness, and their defense. But when you look at Texas Tech in the NCAA tournament, they're 290 in the country in three-point field goal percentage offense, 290. Um, They don't shoot the ball particularly well as a group. It's not their thing shooting the three. Um, Their defense has to be unstoppable at times against the other teams that have that. When you're playing the best of the best, you have to be able to score. And I think they've done a good job this year of, of maneuvering guys around. They've developed a way of playing on offense. They're good enough to beat anybody. But when you're 290 in three-point field goal percentage offense in the NCAA tournament at some point, you're going to have to shoot it at a high clip. I just don't know if Texas Tech does that long-term. But if Texas Tech New Orleans good, can they win four games? They've won four games in a row in the Big 12. That means they can win four games in a row in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, and look, uh, Ken Palm, Ken Pomroy is one of the most talented people in sports. Jeff Goodman can take his JG1 and flush it in the, in the Atlantic Ocean. It's not even close. It's like the highest level versus an elementary level in terms of sophistication. 
And he said something on Arch and I's podcast, and I'll never, I'll never forget how he said it and why he backed it up with data. Great offense in March beats great defense. Yeah. Well said. Hey, the other, the other point problem. with Texas Tech. The other we got a break. Yeah. Go Can we get there? We'll get there here in our break. Yeah, we'll, but we'll get back. Up next, the coach that you're most excited to see this month when the madness begins, the player that you're really excited to see on the dance floor, and maybe a Cinderella candidate out there. We're going to help you and give you some early tips well before that bracket even comes out here. Feel the 68 After Dark, Sirius XM, Channel 84. What I was going to say about Texas Tech, the other thing offensively, take out the threes, they're 281 in turnover percentage on offense. Yeah. They got two things. They got two things going against them that don't spell well late in March, which is you turn the ball over and you're going to have opportunities to, to not make shots. But their defense is so dominant. I mean, they could win a game in a tournament no, in the 40s. Here's another thing. While we're in a break, I'm, I'm really curious to hear both your thoughts on this. Because I think about this with Mark Adams. I think he's done a terrific job, should be a national coach One of the minute. year candidate. My question is, first time you guys coached an NCAA tournament game, when you, when you stepped on the floor, like what, what was that like? Well, I remember mine like it was yesterday. We played Gonzaga in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was the head coach at Xavier. Somehow we got in and got a 13 seed, but we were, we were one of those teams that was probably a little bit uh, underseeded. And um, 30 seconds. We played them really, really tough. They were a four seed. We ended up losing at the end. But, you know, it's such a special moment that I think sometimes you have to remind yourself to coach the game. You know, it's you just you want to be the same coach and team that that you were getting to the tournament. You don't want want that particular game to go different. Yeah, I'll ask you. I'll tee that up for you, Archie, when we come out of break. Hold on one sec. It is the field of 68 after dark deep into this Tuesday night we go. I'm John Fanta. It's Miller Madness. The coaches are here. Archie Miller, Sean Miller on the field of 68. We are also on Twitter and YouTube. And hey, after we wrap up on Sirius XM, you can come on over to Twitter and YouTube for the field of 68 after dark afters. We'll take your questions. We'll have some fun. These guys will do three cheers. You never know what will happen after midnight on the field of 68. So during the break, we were talking about Mark Adams and Texas Tech, the story they've put together, certainly one of the great stories in the sport this year. But coaching your first NCAA tournament game, what it's like when you step on the floor. So we're getting a coach's perspective here. Archie Miller, like, what do you remember about that? Because it wasn't just another game. No, uh, our first tournament appearance at Dayton, um, as crazy as it sounds, but we played Ohio State in Buffalo, which Buffalo isn't isn't that far from central Ohio or even southwest Ohio. And um, one, to get in the tournament as you build a program, it validates a lot for your kids and your staff and it feels great when the name that you draw finally comes to, to grips with who you're playing, it gets a little bit more serious. But for us, you have to understand 
for an in-state school to play Ohio State in the NCAA tournament yeah. is just an incredible amount of attention and just hype and the jitters. But as we prepared for the game, you tried to keep it the same. You're obviously really in a good way with your team. You have their attention. But, man, when you walk out there for the first time, we were, I think, on a Thursday uh, morning, noon game, maybe the first game of the tournament in Buffalo, and the Ohio State Buckeyes are on the other side, and uh, Dayton showed up like you can't imagine. It was just an incredible feeling. Um, and we won the game, which was even better, um, you know, at the end of the day. But I think as you get used to probably playing more games, it may become a little less surreal. You, you know what's coming, but that first one, uh, you know, for a coach to take a team, whether it's at his first program or second, that group, that's a special moment for your team. Hey, the other thing, John, you asked about a coach, you know, tournament experience is really important. And if yeah. you go through, you know, two years ago, there are a lot of guys that were playing college basketball that would have made the NCAA tournament. You know, Arch is a great example. He had a team that was going to go to the NCAA tournament at Indiana and COVID canceled it, but that group didn't go, right? And then last year, whatever happened. So, you know, it's interesting to take a team filled with players that have been in previous NCAA tournaments is really an advantage because yeah. as excited as you think the coach is or nervous or anxious, imagine how it feels to be a team full of players and you look around and say, None of you guys have ever played in an NCAA tournament game. Right. It's really to the team's advantage to have a player or players that played in previous NCAA tournaments. And yeah. John, I'd also tell you this about the NCAA tournament as we go. There is such a divide between winning and losing. You know, yeah. when you lose, I mean, you do that press conference and what you would do to trade with the winning coach. You know, he gets to stay alive and play in another day. And as great as it was to be there, when it ends, it's over. You're forgotten. It's amazing when you're forgotten. It's almost like you're erased from the planet. Yep. And yep. it really doesn't matter how many rounds you make. Like when we played all the way through, you know, round after round in our 2014 season, and we were getting ready to tip it up against the Florida Gators for the final four, this, the hype grows, the excitement grows. It's a feeling you never forget. The minute the game's over, they erase you from earth and you yep. never existed. I mean, it's <laughs> such a sick feel. That's why when you're in that first game, there's so many jitters, I think, for teams at times. And, and you know, to go out early, it's a sad day. I mean, it really is so much excitement. Sunday, 48 hours later, you're traveling. The game tips and then boop, poof, it's over. But uh the tournament is a wicked thing when you get knocked out. Great thing when you advance, though, and you get to watch all the teams play. Fanta, I'm going to tell you, think about Providence. As magical yep. as their season has been, that's kind of what you're describing. Imagine if they didn't make it to the second weekend. I'm you know, you. is that a failure of a season? Of course not. But I will tell you this, it will feel that way because it's been so magical. It's been so special and everything points towards March that when it ends, it's almost like, wait a second, that's not supposed to be how it ends for us. But that's also what makes March Madness so special and, and magical. All right. Speaking of March Madness and how special and magical it is, we have four minutes, gentlemen. So we need to be rapid fire here. But we're going to give America on Sirius XM Channel 84, Feel the 68 After Dark, some teams, coaches, players that they can be aware of here as the calendar has turned. 
So I'm going to start hot with you right now. Who is a team out there that could wear a Cinderella slipper this month? Arch, go ahead. Davidson Wildcats. Davidson is a prolific offensive team. They've won over 25 games. They're most likely going to win at least a share of the NCAA tur- uh, of the Atlantic 10. I think if you play Davidson in the first round or you're, you catch them in the NCAA tournament, that is a, a very, very tough deal. And if they would win a game in the tournament to prepare to play them in the second one on 24 hours, man, that's tough. So if you ask me a team that can make a run, do something special, they've had a great year. They have an unbelievable style. I think Davidson could be a team that people, you know, uh, would want to kind of keep an eye on as the tournament approaches. Sean. St. Mary's. I've watched them from start to finish. Uh, Randy Bennett is one of the best coaches in all of college basketball, certainly here in the West. Everybody is well aware of the amazing job he does. He's been at St. Mary's for 21 seasons, 21 seasons. And this isn't one of his best teams. This is just just one of many teams that when you play them in the tournament, they're going to be an incredibly tough out. They are great on defense. They proved it the other day against Gonzaga. I watched them a week earlier live against both BYU and San Francisco. Both of those teams are very good, BYU and San Francisco. But their defense is just outstanding. They play that slow tempo, but they are efficient. And they have an older group, John. They are not a bunch of young guys. They are a bunch of older, focused, hardened players. And playing them in the NCAA tournament will be very, very difficult. It'll be interesting to see where their seed is because the other point I would make is they have shot up all year in terms of analytically. They're 17 right now in Ken Palm. And they've played a tough non-conference schedule. They've played in, in the Maui Invitational. They beat Notre Dame. They lost a really tough game. Arch was there against Wisconsin. They could have beaten Wisconsin. They've played at Colorado State, at Utah State, San Diego State on a neutral court. They're tough. Uh, I would not want to deal with St. Mary's. All right, we have to move rapid fire here. You each get 30 seconds. No, it's okay. The player, Arch. The player that you're so excited to watch this month that's going to make America in awe. I don't know if he's going to make it at all, but the guy that uh, I think everyone is going to get a full dose of is going to be David Roddy from Colorado State. He's going to be the Mountain West Player of the Year. He's about six foot six plus two fifty. Shoots forty seven percent from three. He's a matchup nightmare. Sean, we got one. Ben Mathering. Ben Mathering. Ben has had an amazing year as a young player at Arizona. This will be his first opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think he's one of the more special players that's playing in college basketball. And uh, that tournament is right down his alley. I, I look for him to have a big, big NCAA tournament. 10 seconds apiece. You pick one team. We got 30 seconds here, so you got to be brief. I'm just having you pick it. Sean, the one team you love the most in this sport to cut down the nets. Just say it. Boy, you just caught me off guard. Kentucky. Kentucky. Both of us. Kentucky. I'm going to double down on that. BBN. BBN. That does it for us. Feel the 68 after dark. Have a good night. Then you're clear.
Wow. I, I threw you a curveball that hit the outside corner, and you both went with John Calipari. You are, the Miller brothers have made it known. They are, you might as well have your blue hair on right now that you're backing Kentucky. I am. If you, if you had to pick one team to win the national championship, why? I think they have a very, very complete team. They got great guard play. They have an amazing presence inside. It's very awkward to play against them, I think, in my opinion, because of the way they control the game. They're good defensively. They have a lot of things going for them in the right direction. And they have the National Player of the Year who's not even their primary option on offense. Think about that. So I think they're a team that's going to be very difficult to deal with in the NCAA tournament. The other thing is, like Baylor, Kentucky has played injured for, I mean, how long now? I mean, when have they had their entire team? I remember for a while, other than the Notre Dame game at Notre Dame, and that's when I would say they were still in their developmental stage. You know, their their losses at LSU and at Auburn, they had players, key guys going down in the game. And then to watch them play without their starting backcourt in the SEC against great competition and win is I mean it, it blows my mind I mean think it, about their think about their team tonight played at home they shot 60 percent from the floor 43 percent from three and Oscar goes for 18 and 15 and they they just like have eight turnovers I mean they're amazing on offense without a lot of style I mean their offensive efficiency is as good as anybody but I just think Kentucky, when they're at full strength, I've watched them play enough that I think they're going to be a very difficult team to deal with. One of the best performances of the season, and it's something that I always think of when I think of Kentucky, is what they did to Tennessee at Rupp Arena. And I believe, I don't know if Ty Ty played in that game or Wheeler. One of them, I I don't believe, played. I could be wrong. But Tennessee, Tennessee is a really good defensive team one of America's best defensive teams. And I'm going to say they put almost 60 points on them in the first half. They can score. I mean, not only are they efficient, they can play fast. They can play slow. Arch, you said it like they can beat you on the offensive glass and inside. They, they can both play from the three point line. They both played, but, but here's the deal against Tennessee, a really good defensive team. Ty Ty and severe Wheeler combined for 49 points and 13 assists. Kentucky wins 107 to 79. Their performance that. at Kansas yeah. is probably the win of the year. Think about that. That would be yeah, the second is. one. I mean, and, and in that game, you know, this year, you don't think of Kentucky as being just physically superior, big like they've been in the past. I mean, they're really talented, but like, man, I tell you what, their talent jumped off the TV on that, on that night. I mean, they just were faster, bigger, more fluid, more athletic than Kansas. And I, I think nobody knows that more than Bill Self. I mean, in that game, he was playing, mixing in a triangle and two, and he was trying everything he could just to stay in the game. How many times have you seen Kansas? And Kansas right now is, you know, they're in the conversation for a one seed, right? I mean, we're talking about they're a final four caliber team, but on that particular night in Fog Allen Fieldhouse, they struggled to stay in the game with Kentucky. It was a mismatch. Right. It was right. a mismatch. If they're fully healthy, the thing that I think gets overlooked, Cal's done a great job with their roster. They play seven guys. And those guys are in sync 
really on both ends sure. of the floor. When they have to get a little deeper, I think their guys have gotten better, like Ware, um, Toppin, and, and um, they've even used Bryce Hopkins a little bit here with the injuries. They can go, but if they're healthy, they got great role definition. Seven guys, they know what they're doing, and they got a quartet of guards that are all really good around Oscar. All right, we have some business to take care of. What are we taking care of tonight? Sean and Archie, what's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the Internet, it is more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either, and plans start at under $4 per month. Affordable. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code B-L-E-A-V. That's B-L-E-A-V to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. NordVPN, I use it, and it's never failed me. Awesome. Let's get back to feel the 68 after dark afters. Hey, here's if you're, if you're looking at the one seeds and the two seeds, <laughs> yes. and you put eight, eight teams up there. Uh huh. Who, who are the eight? Great question. Um, okay. Let's just well, start let's, here let's, with let's go through one, Gonzaga. Gonzaga. What about Arizona? Let's just go Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, Duke, Auburn, Duke, um, Wisconsin, get Baylor. Right. That's six. Baylor, Kansas, Kansas, that's Kentucky. seven, and Kentucky. So Duke is the Duke would be the other two seed in, in play. Those are the eight that are working towards the ones and the two seeds. What if Duke won out? I don't think they'll get a one seed just based on the ACC's right. uh, it's season. Back to the, it's back to the quad one, quad two point we brought up earlier. They're not playing as many of those games as the teams that did. I would say traditionally Duke, Duke on this year with their normal schedule, they're probably about seven quad quad one or two games short compared to everyone else. Yeah. Look, so those, those would be the two seeds. But if, if, if you told me who's a team outside of those eight, that's playing really well right now that has a chance to make a serious run. It's kind of hard pressed not to talk about Arkansas, isn't it? Has there been a hotter team no, in February? Great. No, there, there hasn't been a hotter team. And JD Note has been one of the best guards in the country, but he's the, the but, guy in the NCAA tournament. You want to keep an eye on. Well, that's, that's for sure. The question is, do they have enough overall to say, to say that? I don't think, I think you're looking at potentially a, uh, a four seed. Mm-hmm. They had right. LSU at LSU at home and at Tennessee. That at Tennessee game will be a bear. Tennessee is going to be good too. I, I like the SEC in the tournament. I think. What's your league that's going to have the most teams starting in the Sweet Sixteen? Wow, man, you should host this show. You're pretty good. I know. To me, it's the SEC. I think they have four Sweet Sixteen teams: Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Tennessee. 
I think they have four four teams that, that, that can get to the Sweet 16. I don't know if another league has four. I'm siding with you. I think it is the SEC because I don't trust Kansas. Their point guard situation concerns me. And as good as Texas Tech has been, I'm not sure about them offensively. The SEC, to me, I've, I've grown more of a trust with it. Where do you fall, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the SEC, the Big 12, and then really the Big 10, I mean, it all depends on matchups, but any one of those three can dominate the Sweet 16. I mean, it could be overwhelming in any of those three conferences' favor. I think, you know, right below that, you have the Big East Conference, and then there's a divide. There just is. I mean, it's nothing that's emotional about saying it. It's just, it's facts that once you get past those four, there's space in between the fifth, sixth, and then clearly beyond that. But those those top three conferences, the depth, even the Big Ten. I mean, we talked a lot about Wisconsin tonight, but can Purdue be in the Sweet 16? Absolutely. Yeah. Ohio State can be in the Sweet 16. We can name right now five, six teams that have a chance, especially with good matchup from the Big Ten Conference. So I, I'm going to stick with those three conferences uh, – are, are, are one of those three will dominate the Sweet 16. All right, I have a question that's come in here. So at the half right now, the Arizona Wildcats lead USC 51 to 27. What a, impressive. What a statement made by Zona. But I have a question for you before we talk about I'm, the I'm game. watching it. USC has to run back on defense. To have I was just getting ready to say that. I don't, I don't know if anybody knows, but you have to actually run full speed backwards <laughs> or else you're going to get your ass killed. <laughs> okay, I, I'm asking you this question, Sean. And it's, this is an after dark afters question. You got to tell us a Kerr Kreese story. Oh, boy. I'll tell you a really good Kirk Kreese story. We were recruiting Kirk Kreese. He's from Estonia. We're in COVID, not having the ability to officially visit anywhere. He had to be convinced to come and play college basketball first because he could have stayed in Europe and worked his way up, but wanted to come to college basketball. Eventually that became what he wanted to do. And then he had to make his decisions, you know, just over Zoom and, and over telephone calls over a period of time. But as our roster developed over that period, we had James Akinjo, speaks for himself, right? Just, just for the record, first team all Pac-12, I think it'll be first team all Big 12. Pretty good player. Yes. You had Terrell Brown who transferred in. If you look at Terrell Brown at Washington right now, he's left Arizona, he's playing in Washington. Arch, you'll say it, right? He'll be a first team all Pac-12 player. Right. Lead the conference and scoring. Ben Matherine and, and Dalen Terry, who were both uh, young guards, freshman guards. And, you know, what we worried about is if you're going to leave Europe and come all the way to the United States and sign up to play college basketball, you want to have an opportunity. That's part of this. So we talked as a staff and Jack Murphy and I, you know, together recruited Kerr. And what we came to grips with is just to say, Kerr, look, as much as we would love to have you because at that point he hadn't committed but he was really close I just want to make sure you know that there's a chance that you could come here and and not play I mean you're behind right. some really good players and we got Terrell Brown we got we have James Akinjo we also had Jamal Baker who was an upperclassman and in our program a year earlier Daylon Terry Ben Matherin right and Kerr said what you think I'm scared? Like you, you think I'm, you think like you telling me that's going to make me not want to come. I'm committing. 
and, and that's actually how he committed. And then not that's only how he did plays. he not only did he commit with that bizarre conversation because not nine out of ten, almost ten out of ten, that player is going to see it for what it is and say either a they don't want me, b they don't believe in me, or c you know what they're telling me is true and I don't want to go and leave Estonia and come all the way to Arizona and not have a chance to play. But it was that challenge and that dialogue that convinced him to come. And I think that right there says a lot about him. He, he believes in himself and uh, I'm excited to keep watching him play. He's had a great season. That is an incredible story. Yep. And you're exactly right, Arch. That is the way Kirk Risa plays. Yeah. Yeah. He's I'll give got you that, another he's story. Got that chip on his shoulder. I'm going to give you another story. The NCAA ruled him ineligible just because of, of his situation with his pro team. It is what it is, but he, he only played in seven games. So you think about that. He came over in August COVID he's getting tested every morning at 7.00 AM. He had to practice every day. Right. And you know, that, that thought of what we talked about, it actually came true for a different reason and that he wasn't eligible to play until the last seven games of his season. Okay. Well, then he came to us midway through and he said, coach, I'd like to go home and play for my country. There's a tournament midway through the season. You know, I'd have to go over, play for my country. It means a lot to me. I'll be gone for like 10 days and I'll come back. I'm not playing anyway. And you know what? The right thing was to let him play for Estonia and his country. Right. Uh, and then I looked at our staff and I said, you know, you're never going to see him again. <laughs> yeah, he's not why would you come back like think about how it felt flying you had to fly with a mask on like 15 hours he oh. had to go through training camp they were they were they were playing for real he had to play with his national team in in and he played what i think four or five games uh unbelievable practices with covid mask had to fly all the way back just so he could what practice and not play but he did it he he showed up he left when he was supposed to he did his schoolwork when he was supposed to. He returned when he was supposed to. And then he actually did play in the remaining seven games of the season. But how many of those types of kids are going to leave? Not, I'm not, we're not in Providence right now, John, or New Jersey. We're talking about the West Coast. It takes six hours to get to the East and then the additional time flying that he left, did what he was supposed to, and came back. And yeah. I think when you talk about like the fabric of the kid, both of those stories really tell you not only why he's the type of player that he is, but I think that he has an equally bright future. That's just a great story in every way. I, I guess the, the other dimension to this is like USC enters this night at 25 and four. What was that first half? You got to run at full speed towards got, the other team's basket caught, um, and try to defend him. Yeah. You know um, what? You know what? To be honest with you, I think Sean may have mentioned it. Arizona got jolted after that Colorado game. They didn't feel good. Their staff probably rubbed it in a little bit, but they were really, really ready to start this game. They probably had five 60-foot passes over yeah. top of USC, dunking the ball before USC knew the game started. They weren't ready. They were not ready to start the game. And if you're not ready to start the game against a really good team like Arizona, you're going to get run. We'll see if they can make a run in the second half, but they were not ready to start this game. What a difference because I watched St. Mary's play the Zags and Gonzaga plays an equally fast tempo. And what is the one thing St. Mary's did? You'd give them an A plus. 
no easy baskets in yep. transition for Gonzaga. And it takes discipline. It takes effort. But that's what March is. And if you can't put it together in a game like this in front of your home crowd with the nation watching for a seed, for respect, then uh, then maybe you're not as good as we thought. I love USC's talent, respect them a great deal. But even the Washington Generals against the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> turn and run once in a while to make sure they don't dunk the ball. Right. Even I get back in transition defense every back. now and then. You got to get back. Hey, I got your stat of the night here. Stat of the night, it is presented by absolutely no one. The stat of the night is this. <laughs> Arizona, Arizona has recorded 20 or more assists in 18 games this season. That is the third most by a Division I college basketball team since 2012. And that's what you have to give not only the players a lot of credit, but Tommy Lloyd and his staff. I mean, we've been through this, um, you know, not because I was the coach, but it's it's hard to take over uh, and implement a system in a quick period of time. They've been able to do it. Obviously, they have a ready-made team. They got a great group to work with, but you still have to be able to perform from start to finish. And they've really been as consistent. Other than the Colorado game, I think they might've been might be the most consistent performing team in college basketball. I mean, they virtually have been the same almost every game. If you think about at Illinois, in which they won, at Tennessee, in which they didn't, even at UCLA, it wasn't because of a poor performance or lack of anything. It wasn't until you went to Colorado that the bottom kind of fell out on them. And I think watching them respond says a lot about their team and a lot about their team moving forward. I wor- I, the only thing I worry about Arizona is tonight's a good step in terms of showing exactly what they can do when they're, you know, when they're right, right and ready, which will be the rest of the season for them. Um, just the overall, uh, it may work in their favor, but the overall competition that they've seen versus the other ones and twos, you know, uh, they haven't seen that. You know. The Oregon State Beavers haven't been good this year. Oh, that would be an understatement. They're three and twenty-five. And when you have a team that has maybe twenty-seven regular season losses in your league, that's bad. It serves as an anchor for any number, any analytics you can go. And with teams playing them twice, it just it's just kind of what what it is. And then I think that hurt the Pac-12. Don't don't be surprised if Oregon doesn't go to Las Vegas, Fanta, win four games. I think they're going to have to win four and and be that fourth team in the NCAA tournament and all four teams in the Sweet 16 to answer your earlier, <laughs> He's shaking your his earlier head. question. It Look happened last shaking year. His head. Not happening it happened this year. last year. Not happening this year. Not happening. Not He just shuts down any love that you give to the Pac-12. It's yeah, just no, too don't. much. It's yeah, been too much. It's been too much. I'm looking forward to the regular season ending. <laughs> Let's just get a couple of these Pac-12 teams in the tournament, like two of the three of them, and then see what they can do, because those three are good, but the league in general. Arch, you, you ever know. see Matt Foley Saturday Night Live? People have, have liked it. You, you know, Matt Foley, Van Down by the River? Yeah. I can't tell over there. Is, is that Bill Walton Jr.? 
<laughs> Bill, hey, Bill Walton is a great guy. I, did you I get see asked Bill Walton? Did time. you see Bill Walton said that eight teams were going to the NCAA tournament <laughs> from the Pac-12? See, everybody thinks he kids around and he's just saying it. He truly believes it. Like it's not, he's not <laughs> two ridiculous. different people. Yeah. He's not two different people. He's the same guy. And uh, look, he, he grew up out here. He believes in the, in the pack. You, you got to give it to him. I mean, there's a few homers that believe in the big 10 too, Arch. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the only thing that I really enjoy is, is when he really, he really takes it to Joe Lenardi. <laughs> Bill Walton really Really, when he said, uh, I hope his mom turns on the lights in the basement and he can come outside, that, that one right there was <laughs> unbelievable line. Now, what's unbelievable amazing line. Is, and, and we love Joey Brackets. What's amazing is, is to me, Sean, and I've heard this, that like people don't understand this, but Bill Walden does go to shoot arounds and practices. He actually prepares for really games. Prepares. He really? stands at midcourt. Uh, you, if your shoot around starts at three o'clock at around three Oh five, you kind of have to move in there and just say, you know, let's go fellas. And, uh, but he usually talks to players right at midcourt five minutes into your shoot around. He eats soup and salad uh, that he brings. He doesn't buy it. It's, it's almost homemade. I'm not sure where the concoction is made, but he <laughs> eats during your shoot around Uh He'll eat a sandwich once in a while. He watches every shoot around. And yeah, no doubt. He asks a lot of questions and does his homework. <laughs> he really does. He does. Oh my God. It's amazing. Uh, Goodman tells a story about how he fact checked him one time. And he's like, Oh my God, he actually was, these weren't absurd stories. They're actually, some of them are true. Most of them are true. I would always try as best I could to tell our players how good of a player he was. Like a lot of them just don't have the context and they know him as the announcer or somebody that makes them laugh, but they just don't have the understanding of truly might've been one of the all time great college players. He was, I mean, some people argue that he was the best ever right in college and was also a great NBA player. He's a hall of famer. I mean, in, in the, the 75 team that was honored at the NBA all-star game, he was standing right in that line. Wow. There's no denying that. <laughs> That's good stuff. All right, three cheers time. Three cheers time. Arch, what do you got? Jamie Dixon. Jamie Dixon, uh, TCU Horn Frogs. They get they care of business with Texas Tech at home and then Kansas. I mean, that's two of the best wins any team has had back to back all season. They're going to the NCAA tournament. He's got a he's a terrific coach. And uh, just in general, it probably very under the radar just because of the depth of their league. But TCU, Jamie Dixon in particular, cheers to him. So, Fanta, I'm going to cheer Baylor from last night. It's just what I do. He I wasn't never on cheers the anybody on the current night. To go, to go at Why Texas. Why not? To go at Texas. It just Texas feels like he's just going to cheer anybody before he gets here. I don't know. <laughs> To, to see Baylor do that, I'm going to cheer them from last night. Tonight, I'm going to cheer the Arizona Wildcats. I think a lot of people expected them to go on the heels of losing at Colorado, three away games in a row in L.A. at USC. USC's good, big crowd, and uh, they were ready to play and helped by USC's inability to lace their sneakers up 
put their head down, breathe hard, and run full speed back on defense. You got to do that, fellas, to win. All right, I'm actually going to go off the radar a little bit with my three cheers, and I'm going to go to Conference USA. Whoa. Because Grant McCaslin's North Texas Mean Green team has won 14 consecutive games. They've won 14 in a row. That's impressive. They shoot the ball 37%, over 37% from three. They have four players averaging between 10 and 14 points per game. Tyler Perry, Thomas Bell, Abu Usman, and Mardrez McBride. I'm toasting you because, North Texas, I think right now, I don't even care who your opponent is. I am picking you in the first round of the tournament on my bracket. I like the makeup of this team. I like the way they shoot the ball. Conference USA, as weird as of, of a league as it is from a who's in it standpoint, they have had some teams surprise folks in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they may not win their conference tournament. They may not, but I think they're going to. And I like North Texas. Fanta, you know, the other thing that we need to just address in a quick manner is, you know, Mike Krzyzewski's getting ready to coach his last regular season game yes. at Cameron Indoor Stadium against the Tar Heels. I mean, I don't know if, if anyone will ever get the real context of, think about that for a second. The last time that he'll be out there on the court at Cameron Indoor Stadium, you know, the, the greatest coach ever, the most wins, all of his historic accomplishments. In addition, what he's done with his time and how he almost recreated USA basketball simultaneously towards running Duke's program, the excellence. Uh, it's just when he doesn't walk out there ever again, it will be a completely different college basketball. And uh, I think, you know, we probably should have all toasted to him based on the fact that uh, I'm not going to be on after dark when he's out there. So I'll give him my third toast of the night ah. to coach K and Duke and, uh, and what he's meant to college basketball for what four plus decades as a coach yep. for 40 years, 40 years. To Mike Krzyzewski, to Coach K. And by the way, follow us at the Field of 68 After Dark, our YouTube page as well. We'll have plenty of coverage around Duke and Carolina. Mike Krzyzewski walks through that tunnel at Cameron Indoor one final time for a game. It is going to be electric on Saturday. It's that last Saturday of the regular season. So you get you get great games with major implications. And all eyes are going to be on Coach K. Fanta, where are you going to be tomorrow? That's the most important question. I am actually going to take the short trek over to Newark tomorrow because it's an easy trip. So I'll tell you guys this much. This weekend for Fox Sports, I, I do the Big East Women's Tournament uh, quarter, mm. semis, and final. Uh, obviously, I'll be you- tuning in now. <laughs> obviously, UConn, the front runner there. So I can't travel anywhere tomorrow because I'm getting ready to go to Mohegan Sun all weekend long at Mohegan Sun. Nice. So I'm going to be racking up some capital as I'm yeah. calling games here for the for the big New Orleans trip come April. Uh, but uh, tomorrow I'm just heading over to Newark uh, to to just because I watch any hoops. But uh, Georgetown is at Seton Hall. Uh, Georgetown obviously has not won a league game. That's for another discussion. But uh, 
Seton Hall has won six of their last eight games. I haven't seen them in person in about a month, so I just want to see how they've changed as a team in person. I thought yeah. you may be over there in Queens when the Xavier Musketeers take on the Johnnies. Here's the problem. It takes four hours to get to and from Queens. <laughs> I mean, it takes – like, you've seen Coming to America when Eddie Murphy gets out of the car and he's in Queens, and it's like, this is New York. It's like, yes, it is, but it's, at the same time, it's not, it's not Midtown Manhattan. It's not the Garden. It's, it's Jamaica, Queens. Right. Yeah. So I have an early morning on Thursday, so I'll, I'll go over to uh, beautiful Newark, New Jersey. I'll spare you guys the trip. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we've enjoyed f- being on here with you. Oh, I always enjoy After Dark with the Miller Brothers. This was a treat, guys. Best month of the year is Fanta, here. Fanta, can I ask you this, though? You know, you, you make your rounds both broadcasting live games and, you know, you're the field general here of the field of 68. Oh. Is anybody more precise with their analytics, statistics, both players, coaches, games, leagues, than Arch? Is, is there anybody that's in his... Can you give me a couple of names that you could say, no, no, this guy could actually go shoulder to shoulder with Arch's ability to, to, to knock stats out. I mean, in analytics, is there anybody not, as good? It's called, it's called facts. <laughs> Do you know? Is no. It, anyone come to mind? Facts. No, he, he's a number one overall seed in the category of facts. facts. He's a fact giver. He's a fact giver. I've been told that he fact checked the state of the union tonight. He's I this did, guy. I did not. I sure hope he helps the market though. After <laughs> <laughs> this guy is all over Archie Miller. I, I no, it's, feel it's, it's, it's impressive. It is yeah. very impressive. You mm. bring your a game every you single night. You can't just spit stuff out and hope <laughs> it sticks on the wall. You have to have a little right. bit of muscle behind your points. Right. Yep. And, and it's, it feels like I'm just tossing the ball up to you for an alley-oop every time. Cause you give, you gave us, Texas Tech being 282 in turnover rate. That was a money, I mean, he pull, money That's what sack. I mean. He pulls, he pulls things out like that are just like, wow. You know, right. it's, that's the effect of the, you're the not stack. Gonna, that you're gives. not going to emotionally <laughs> attack me. You're going to have to answer the question when I give some some pointed facts. Right, right. And Goodman tries to emotionally attack you. And no, he's, he's, not, he's, he's emotional. Opposite. He's just too emotional. He's the opposite. No, no doubt about it. He's going on what he calls the eye test. He's he's just going on what just happens. No doubt about it. And that's, that's probably the balance that, that arch especially, but we've tried to, to give this show. Okay. Here's the last stat of the night. Dagan Hughes will hit the pillow at 1239 AM Eastern time, right? Dagan. No chance <laughs> for arch and Sean. I'm John Fanta. We'll talk to you in about 23 hours on another edition of the field of 68 after dark. <laughs>